Hello, and welcome to the seventh circle of hell. I mean, not this is not really this is not that bad, guys. Welcome to Shut Up and Jimmer. This is your host Steve Pierce, as always. Here, joined by my co-host Robbie McCombs. Robbie, this was a dark, 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 the darkest of timelines this week for the BYU men's basketball team. How are you? How are you coping with uh, with this new uh, dead zone that we're in? I, I you know it's bad, Steve, when the Best thing going on the BYU sports world is that the football team is playing in the potato bowl. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, women's volleyball, I mean, credit to them for being in the Sweet 16. But, I mean, this is obviously a basketball-centered podcast. And and this is could be the worst basketball team Dave Rose has ever had. So, a lot of things to get to. A lot of things that went wrong. A lot of things that are wrong. A lot of things that may not be fixed. So... Lots to delve into, that's for sure. Yeah, we'll talk about it all today. It was uh, an exceptionally tough, tough week for our guys. Um, Before we do that, though, just a reminder, we are on all of your major podcast platforms, whichever one you prefer to use, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, there are lots more. Um, We're on them all, so please subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice so you get the latest episodes right uh right on your phone right when you right as they become available and also if you got 30 seconds give us a rating and a review five stars tell tell the people how wonderful uh shut up and jimmer is even if the byu basketball team itself is considerably less so right now um and speaking of i guess let's just dive into it robbie we normally this will be a, i think slightly different than we normally do this normally we talk about each game we, we talk about what was good we start with the positive what was good in that game what was what was bad in that game uh we're going to talk about the whole week together and kind of like the where the current state of the byu men's basketball program right now as it stands here on December, I guess we're just recording this on December 2nd. Uh, you'll hear it on December 3rd, 2018. Um, there's not a lot that's good. Um, Robbie, I'll, I guess just toss it to you. Was there anything that was good this week? Is there anything good in the BYU basketball world that folks should be hanging their hat on right now? Uh, yeah, I really had to rack my brain a little bit, Steve. Really had to try to stretch to find something. I mean, on the first half of that Illinois State game, it kind of looked like, all right, BYU finally kind of woke up a little bit from that subpar Houston game. Because I think BYU was up by, what, nine points coming to that Illinois State game. So you thought, okay, BYU's kind of figured things out. Uh, BYU's defending pretty well. BYU scored 40 points at halftime, so it's okay, all is well. BYU's beating a solid mid- major team on the road. Looks like BYU's going to win. And then obviously we saw the wheels kind of fall off, which we'll obviously get into a lot more. So, I mean, that's one good thing I saw. I mean, the first half started good. And the first half of the game, which was kind of an overarching thing, uh, an just um, so the freshman Gavin Baxter and Connor Harding, they kind of really seem the X factor for this BYU team, um, just because of the skill set they have, the length they have, the size they have, and just the different skill sets with rebounding with defense. So that first half of that, if you take if you break down each half, so the four halves, that first half that was really honestly the first, the one half that they both played well. So because of that, BYU played really well. So I mean, we'd like to see that from the freshmen, but the last half of the game at Weaver State obviously weren't good. So I guess that was one good thing. The freshmen played good against that half, and not coincidentally, BYU also played well. And then um, if Weber stay, I mean, the offense, BYU put up 103 points. So BYU kind of seemed to figure out, hey, we're not a good three-point shooting team, so let's kind of go in the paint and get two-pointers, which BYU uh, statistically does really well at. So (laughs) those are a few couple good things I saw. Um, And Jashir had a really good game versus Weber State, so that was nice to see. But other than the freshmen playing good for one half Illinois State, the offense being really good 
really good. Maybe just they played well versus Weber. And the Jashir played well versus Weber. And then obviously Yoli just is Yoli. He's an awesome player. Um, that's really the only good things I saw. Is, do you have anything to add to that, Steve, for what went well this week? Nope. That was about yeah. it. That was, yeah, uh, that was I really it. tried to stretch it. I really tried to be kind and stretch it, but that was honestly about it. It's Should tough. we delve into what was wrong? The state of the program? I mean, see, we have about, what, three hours? Can we fit everything into three hours about <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with baby basketball? I mean, this is, the beautiful, this is the beautiful thing about the internet, Robbie. We have as long as we want, really. Yeah, but uh, we'll try and not bore people too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll try to keep people in here. Um, and where to start? I mean, I guess I'll start off. Um, Kind of, to, we'll kind of break down each side of the ball. So, um, offensively speaking, um, I, th- I think this is a pattern. I think it's a well-established pattern. BYU's night games to the season. Um, BYU's a poor three-point shooting team. Um, uh, pretty much every single game, BYU shot poor. So I guess to kind of break it down a little bit. So first, statistically, um, BYU shooting twenty-eight percent from three on the year, which is atrocious. That is awful. Th- awful. I mean, three hundred seventeenth in the nation. So there are 317 Division One programs, which are better than BYU, a team that prides itself historically not the most athletic team, a team that gets good shooters. And BYU is a horrible three-point shooting team, shooting 28%. And 20% is bad. But it's, it's even worse when you kind of look at the the three the, the breakdown, the percentages by player. So Celius is the best three-point shooter in the team. He's only 37%. TJ's down to 34 And the hardest, the bad thing is... is um, obviously BYU is shooting poor, but it, poor players are shooting a lot. So obviously Dave Rose, a lot of time through the years, he's really known for giving guys a green light, which is a shooter. I mean, it's your dream. You want to have the green light to really have your confidence flow. But Dave Rose, it doesn't seem like he's even putting a yellow light on any of the guys, let alone a red light. I mean, um, Connor Harding, he's shot 25 threes this year. He's only made five. I think that's way too many for Connor Harding. I mean, we've obviously sung his praises on this, but he should not be shooting that many threes. Uh, Jashir is shooting 26%. He shot over 33s. Jashir should not be shooting that many threes. Dalton Nixon, he's shooting a 7% on the year. And even, <laughs> se- yeah, seven per- single digits, not 17, oh. not 27. 7%. You have like, to laugh. You have to laugh. I, seriously, I mean, you could break it down. McCabe, Cannon, probably Bergeson is shooting under 30%. So that's not only BYU's obviously bad three-point shooting team dave rose is letting them shoot three-pointers so everybody has the green light so at least give some of these guys a not even a red light a yellow light because they, they should not be shooting this many threes and they kind of fixed that a little bit it's weber state BYU shot a lot less threes and the field goal percentage BYU shot 59 percent from the field and obviously defense because the reason they lost that game but Man, if BYU is going to shoot 28%, BYU is not going to make BYU is not BYU is going to make the CBI this year. BYU shoots under 30%, they're not going to make the NIT. So offense, I mean, would you say that's the number one thing, Steve? Three-point shooting is the biggest trick, yeah. offensively speaking, why BYU is so just inept right now. Yeah, I would say that he doesn't even need to give him a yellow light because what I normally do when I go when I see a yellow light is I speed through it and go really fast. He needs to give yeah. them a flashing like one of those flashing red lights you get when the yeah. when the power goes out and you're supposed to yeah. like stop and like look both ways and then you proceed. Mm-hmm. Maybe they should do more of that. More of that, yeah. please. Yeah, and it's just hard. I think Dave Rose obviously does a lot of good things at BYU, and I know this is kind of given to the overarching things. What's wrong with the program? Not necessarily the nitty gritty, but I think Dave Rose. Had, become just increasingly, I guess, withdrawn from the program. Um, 
I don't know how deep we want to get into this, Steve, but even like recruiting wise, I mean, you'd see back in 2010, Jim, there's stories of Dave Rose. He way outside in the rain across the country in New York for Jim or for that, waiting for him to finish practice. Like Dave Rose was just a grinder. Um, and obviously he had his cancer about, so obviously survived that. And a lot of things, I mean, um, very, you can understand why his perspective would change uh, with life, but he just doesn't, he's not grinding as much as he used to. I mean, I mean, talked to some guys on the team like two years ago before Heath Schroyer got here, they said literally all practice, they just run tempo drills. They wouldn't do anything else. And without Heath Schroyer there, someone to really kind of just that guy in the room who's had a lot of head coaching experience. This is a very green coaching staff. So I just don't know if there's anyone holding any accountable, not only shooting wise, but in general, um, I know I'm kind of getting off topic a little bit. So, I mean, Three-point shooting, it's bad. And a kind of offense, um, BYU, obviously, with Heath Schreier out, BYU's playing very fast, um, which is the Dave Rose trademark. That's what Dave Rose knows how to do. He knows how to play up-tempo, and he's really good at that. And BYU's 11th in the nation in tempo. But we, I was listening to Dave Rose post-game. He even mentioned, he's like, okay, we need to slow this down a little bit. And I think I think that's smart. I think BYU does need to slow it down, not necessarily to last year to the Heath Schreier range, but kind of that happy medium. So a lot of times, you usually want to run tempo when – you're athletic, you're more talented than the other team. And usually when you're less talented, which BYU is in a lot of these teams, you want to slow it down or limit possessions. And I don't think BYU has the personnel that were recruited to that tempo, that style, but BYU shouldn't be a top 10 team in tempo. So tempo-wise, BYU needs to slow it down a little bit and it really concentrate giving the ball down to Yoli on the block, um, running some offense outside of him. So tempo is the second thing. And then the third thing, which... Really weird. It's ugly hit versus Illinois State. I mean, Illinois State was super smart with this in the second half of the game. So they went zone defense on BYU. Usually teams don't go against zone defense BYU because usually BYU is a good three-point shooting team. But the mark, when there's a bad three-point shooting team, you want to go zone because that limits penetration and forces team to shoot outside shots. And honestly, Steve, it looked like BYU had never played against the zone defense in their life. Like that, when BYU went up 14 against Illinois State in the second half, they went zone and BYU was just horrible against that zone. I mean, the only time they would get buckets against that zone is when they got down fast enough to hurry before Illinois State set up in the zone. So Weber State didn't go much zone in that game, probably thankfully for BYU because they were able to put up a lot of points. But so BYU just had no idea how to go versus zone. I mean, they would pass in the zone, but they're just wasted passes almost was like pass just a pass like they weren't getting the ball in the high post which is really want to do so i mean that was kind of a big tangent steve just kind of what's wrong with the program and then what's wrong with the BYU now but i guess to break it down to three simple things three-point shooting that's the number one thing is going to shoot poorly BYU won't even make the nit this year um a little too fast right now i think BYU still wants to play fast because i mean they put up 103 points i mean they're doing something right in the offensive end they kind of click versus weber state and then scheme wise, they need to know how to play versus his zone. So I mean, yeah. you could add on to that, but those are three things that I've seen that's really hindered BYU for versus in these first nine games. Yeah, the zone the zone issue is hard because you know as a player, if you've ever played the game, you know that you know the stats say that seventy percent of teams play man, like or teams are playing man seventy percent of the time. Uh, mm-hmm. or thereabouts in college. Um, and if you've ever played the game, you know that when you switch from a man and the team like mixes it up and throws his own defense at you, it's like a little bit weird all of a sudden because no, mm-hmm. now there's nobody like directly on you anymore and they're all sagging off and you have to kind of like recalibrate and figure out like, okay, how do we attack this? This is different. Um, that being said, so like I understand that. That being said, 
this is Division One college basketball. These guys should be prepared to know how to attack a zone. These are great, yeah. great, very good basketball players, uh, very good basketball coaches. They should be prepared to handle a simple zone defense from Illinois State, uh, which they obviously were not. So I think that's a great point. Uh, a couple other things that I would mention. They've turned the ball, just in this last week, they've turned the ball over a lot. BYU had done a really good job up until about this last week of not turning the ball over. Um, 14 turnovers uh, leading to 17 points for Illinois State and 12 turnovers leading to 16 points for for Weber State. Obviously, you're never going to completely eliminate turnovers, but they got pretty pretty dang close, as close as you're going to get, um, keeping it under you know 10 a game for a while there. Um, and then this week, kind of the wheels came off offensively, and they, they turned the ball over, and that led to points. And you know they obviously lost two games um, that were you know within that margin of where those those uh, those points off turnovers came from. So I would say getting the turnovers back to where they're manageable again, which we've we've seen them do. We know they can do it. They just need to do it against quality opponents. Um, and then I know a lot of folks on Twitter will agree that the the free throws have been kind of rough. They've been they've been getting a lot of opportunities, and like you said, they especially against Weber State. But I think generally, um, as they've shot fewer threes, um, and Weber State was a great example of this. They've gotten they've attacked the basket a lot more, which I think is great for this team. I think they have personnel that can do it, like Jashir. I think TJ can do it. Although he didn't get any calls at Weber State, um, but when you attack the basket, you get a lot of free throws. They shot thirty six free throws um, against Illinois State, um, and they kind of kept them in the game because they shot so many of them for a long time um and they shot 24 free throws against weber the problem is it doesn't matter if you get to the line if you don't make them right <laughs> they shot 69 no. they shot 69 versus illinois state from the stripes shot 67 against weber state you're just leaving tons of points on the table um and again just similar to the turnovers the number of points left on the table there are is is you know close to or more than the margin of the margin of victory in these games and so you know when you're turning the ball over which is you know just leading directly in most cases to efficient points for the other team or you're leaving points on the table by not making uh free throws you're never gonna make every free throw and you're never gonna completely eliminate turnovers but that just seems like two really simple easy areas to clean up um that can kind of be a, a a first focus that isn't as big as like some of the stuff you pointed out which is really important and really fundamental but who knows if they'll actually be able to to make those changes midstream in the middle of a season? We'll see. Um, mm-hmm. But these are those are just those two things. I think are just small things that they can that they can maybe uh, maybe do a little bit better on. Yeah, definitely. I think one last thing: offense. Obviously, BYU needs a bona fide third scorer. You kind of notice that the Weber game when BYU had every game BYU has to have Yoli and TJ both having a, a great game if they don't have any chance to win. You kind of saw Weber State with Jashir kind of helped fill in, but without TJ, BYU had no chance versus Weber State. So I think Jashir, I mean, he's been really up and down. He's played as largely he's played good versus poor teams and poor versus good teams. So I mean, really, BYU, the only hope I see is they have to hope Nick Emery kind of plays like he did as his freshman year or even a sophomore where he kind of slumped down a little bit. But especially early on, I don't see a guy that hasn't played in over a season and he's dealt a lot with his personal life and obviously with the NCAA. I just don't see Nick Emery coming in day one and putting up 15 points a game. That's a tall, tall task to ask Nick Emery, who hasn't played, like I said, in over a year and a half, just to yeah. come in and fix the scoring. That's a real, that's a hard ask. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. It's uh, it is it's a tough ask. I think that, you know, you, 
it's probably unrealistic, like you're saying, to expect him to be the consistent 15 points a night scorer. Maybe he will be. He's got the talent to do it, certainly. But it's probably a little much to ask to do it. But I think just having him there and some another player with the talent to to get that 15, 15 points a night, um, between the four of those guys that you mentioned, Yoli, TJ, Jashir, and Nick, you need three of them to be on to be good teams, at least. Preferably four, but you need three of them to be on. And when there's, you know, when there's four of them now with Nick coming back versus the three that we've had, you have you have a little cushion, right? You have a little margin for error potentially. So maybe TJ can have a crappy night like he had against Weber State and Jashir and Nick and Yoli uh, can be on. Um, now, if they only two, if two of them have crappy nights, then they're screwed anyway. But yeah. uh, it just gives you a little bit more margin for error potentially. So I think that's that's a good point and something something worth watching. Let's flip over to the other side of the ball um, and talk a little about defense, which is my uh, my personal my personal passion, um, and currently with this team, uh, my personal pet peeve. Uh, this team is bad at defense, Robbie. It's they're really bad. They just gave up yeah. 113 points to Weber State, which is as bad as any BYU defensive performance other than, you know, the UVU game from a couple years ago where they gave up 116. It was and it, it was awful. And just if I chime in real quick, our, our own Brett Hine at, on Vanquish the Foe, he also covers Weber State for his local newspaper, The Standard Examiner. He said that was the first time since January 2000 that Weber State has scored more than 100 points versus a Division, division One team. So congratulations uh. to BYU for breaking an 18-year <laughs> streak for Weber State. I mean, just a very charitable weekend for BYU. That charity yeah, was not failing. <laughs> yeah, uh, the uh, the Christmas spirit was had really taken over the BYU defense. Yeah, uh, no kidding. Oh gosh, it's and it's 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 this is we've talked about the defense a couple of times even before the wheels really came off this week. Uh, on the season, they're giving up seventy six point nine points per game, which is up there with some of the worst seasons in Rose's tenure, and that includes there there are seasons that have been worse um, in terms of just raw points per game given up. But this is most of those games were against bad teams, so that's that's dragging that number down where they were able to you know, stop bad teams from scoring a lot of points. Um, but if you look at just this three-game losing streak that they're on against Houston, Illinois State, and Weber, uh, they're giving up 93.6 points per game during that during that that streak. That's hard to do that, in college basketball. <laughs> it's a 40-minute game, Robbie. Yeah, that's hard to do in college basketball. Yeah, 40 <laughs> minutes into... Yeah, it's it's it's, it's horrible. It's bad. It's, there's yeah. there's no way to quantify how bad that is. I mean, there is a way to quantify. It. We just did it. It's ninety three point six points a game, but <laughs> yeah. it's it's horrible. That oh, is man. so bad. And I, I I see three three big problems here that's causing this. And there's a lot of problems. And we can get into the historical nature of why BYU is bad at defense under Dave Rose generally, except with like last year accepted and and some of the few the few years at the beginning of the Dave Rose tenure where they actually a very good defensive team. But generally, BYU is struggling. Here's the reasons why they're struggling this year. Number one, BYU has no discernible defensive philosophy when you watch them out there. They do not. It just seems like a bunch of individuals trying to worry about keeping their guy from scoring, but playing, but having no larger team strategy or construct around them. They don't know what to do with ball screens. They don't know are they are they supposed to be pressing up in passing lanes when they're one when they're one pass away from the ball? Are they supposed to be dropping back and packing the paint, kind of like a pack line defense like Virginia plays? Um, it's just very unclear. There's no cohesion. It just looks like everyone is doing their own thing, not working together, no broader strategy. 
And it's just, you can't play defense like that at this level against good teams. You can, it will not work. There has to be a broader, broader defensive philosophy that everyone is on the same page on. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of individuals out there for themselves. And that doesn't work because BYU doesn't have the individual talent, the individual defensive talent, the individual athletic ability to guard individually. They have to guard as a team. And right now they're not doing it. And even if I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure that Dave Rose, you know, has a strategy, right? There's something they're supposed to be doing, I think, I hope. If, if there's not, then I'm really worried. <laughs> yeah. But even if there is a strategy, the execution is horrendous. It's horrible. The, the thing that they are the worst at, which kills them every single time, and they've been bad at this for years. I think it got better last year with Heath. Um, and I think I feel like it's gone gotten worse again, is their closeouts. When they mm. close out on somebody with the ball are terrible. They're all over the place. So they're, bad. They're they're always late. They're always late closing out. And because they're late, they start lunging. They lunge at a shooter to try and prevent a three, which either, you know, they fly by and the guy shoots three anyway, or most often the guy just pump fakes and goes right around them. And, you know, once that, once that happens, that's an easy drive. That's either going to result in points at the rim, which is, you know, the most efficient shot in basketball, obviously, or an over rotation, which then opens up somebody else as a shooter on the outside, which is why you're seeing all we've harped on three point defense on this podcast. It's why you see so many open three point looks is because BYU is over rotating because they're constantly getting beat on closeouts. Um, and so that's a huge problem. And then the other huge problem on execution is the defensive focus and the intensity is just, it's non-existent. There's, it's just basic. It's not even, it's not even like, oh, they're not athletic enough to do this or they're not skilled enough to do this. It's just, it's just the, the try hard stuff. It's not finding guys in transition. It's not being aware of people, where people are on the court. Where is Jarek Harding, the stud guard from Weber State? How did he get open so many times? Why do you not find him as soon as he crosses half, car, half court and know where he is at all times? It's having a hand down on the ball when you're guarding the ball. Just You're just like sitting three or four feet off with no hand up and you just let guys put it in your eye. Bracott Chapman did that several times for Weber. Um, he just didn't have a hand up, and so he shot it over the guy. I saw it happen several times. I started counting how the, where the threes were coming from against Illinois State, and so many of them were just a guy standing on the perimeter with the ball and not and us not getting a hand in his face. No BYU defender on the ball with a hand in his face, and so he just decides to shoot it, and he makes it because it's an easy open shot. It's, it's just stuff like that. It's just basic. Not seeing the entire floor, not being aware of where players on are on the floor, not being focused and having intensity. And say what you will about Heath Schroyer. Um, and I certainly said a fair share of negative things about his offensive things that he brought to the table last year. I didn't love his offense. But he did instill that kind of intensity and focus last year. It was, it was there at a, in a way that it hadn't been in several years for BYU. This is, it's kind of, it feels like we've returned to that, to that norm now. Now that Heath is gone, that focus, that intensity on the defensive end is gone and it really shows it really really shows um and because of that because of both those things the lack of discernible philosophy the lack of execution of focus of the bad closeouts all of that it's really easy to beat this team defensively it's the defense is really quickly and easily compromised which leads to the things that we just talked about open threes free drives to the hoop and oftentimes that those free drives to the hoop you know, they they result in a bunch of fouls because there is help, but it comes late because they're not in a real team defensive scheme. You don't have a lot of great defensive awareness and guys are just going to hack dudes. And what that ends up doing is it ends up putting guys on the putting guys on the line a lot. Um, 
I think Illinois State shot 18 free throws, um, made 17 of them. That's huge in a game that ended up being decided by three points in overtime, right? Weber State shot 38 free throws. They put Weber on the line 38 times. And granted, they fouled at the end to try and get back into it. So you could probably knock 10 out of 10 off there um, for the intentional fouls. But still, 28 free throws in a game that, you know, they lost by they lost by 10. So it's it's rough out there, man. It's just you're giving up open three pointers to good, a lot of open three pointers to good teams. They're going to make them. Both Weber State and Illinois State shot 44% on threes, and they shot a bunch of them. Illinois State, I think, shot 30. Weber shot 25. And you give good teams open shots, they're going to make those shots. And at that point, since BYU can't shoot threes, you're just shooting. You're just trading threes for twos. And mathematically. That doesn't work, Robbie. You can't keep trading threes on one on the defensive end for twos on the offensive end and expect to win ball games. So this, there's a lot of really big problems here. Yeah, in, Steve, you know kind of what one play I kind of feel like was kind of a microcosm of the whole defensive just ugliness, for lack of a better word. Do you remember the play? I think it was in the second half. I remember Jashir Hardnett was guarding. It's probably Jared Harding. I remember Jared Harding just give him a quick crossover. Nobody rotated, went to the basket for a layup, and then Yoli just spiked it off the glass for a goaltending. I feel like that's yeah. kind of a microcosm of the defense. Like they easily got by Jashir, and there was absolutely zero. It's either over rotations, which is the problem, or no rotations, and there was no rotation, and he got an easy layup. So Yoli just Yoli just spiked it off the glass. So I mean, I feel like that kind of just encompassed what you're seeing. It's like, oh, what is BYU even doing out there in the defense to give up an easy layup? Not even watching. Weber State's best player. So, I mean, yeah. I think you summed it up well. It's just like kind of one thing I'll touch on one thing you said. One thing that's always been frustrating to me under Dave Rose that I feel like was kind of fixed last year under Heath Schroyer. It's just, it's something really simple about basic basketball, just closeouts, just hard closeouts, putting your hand up in the guy's face. I feel like BYU's regressed this year again, just having horrible closeouts. I mean, there's not even one p- player in particular, but I feel like coaches, there's without Heath Schroyer there, there's no coach that's really keeping players accountable on the defensive defensive end, even something as simple as a, as a closeout, putting your hand up in the shooter's face. That just kind of shows a lack of effort and the lack of scheme on the defensive end for BYU. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's just, that's just try hard stuff too, man. Yeah, like it really is. Clo- it's not athleticism. Yeah. It's yeah. not athleticism. It's not having a, a bunch of six, seven guys with seven foot wingspans. It's like you said, effort and trying like it's, yeah. it's basic basketball. Yeah, you just you have to get down in a stance. You have to get out there, get your hands high, get your feet choppy, and get ready to anticipate the drive. But they don't do that. They they they're not ready to close out. Therefore, they're late. Therefore, they lunge. Therefore, they are out of position. Therefore, the entire defense falls apart. It's it's rough, man. It's rough yeah. out there. And the worst thing is, like even outside of offense and defense, is there's just this general feeling, like the intangibles, just the general feeling of of malaise out there yeah yeah and it's interesting yeah that was kind of the schematic parts which obviously is a huge problem but i'm sure you remember i think you were watching the game i think online as well as i was um that part late in the second half once we were state got up by between 10 and 15 points it was nice to see dave rose really lay into his guys really yell at them you could just see the frustration and the anger in his eyes and it just didn't seem like the players really responded like BYU went back out and nothing changed on the defensive end so I just don't know what to attribute that to. Is Dave Rose not, are they, is his voice kind of growing stale on the locker room and in practice? Are players not responding to Dave Rose anymore? Is it 
more of a player thing. There's just not enough leaders to say, hey, guys, we need to let's show some pride on the defensive end. Let's just, is there a, that type of player that player people could really look up to? So I think, like you said, yeah, there's just that lack of emotion. And I don't want to say apathy in the court because I think the guys do want to win. But it almost comes across a little bit that way in the defensive end. Is there, is there that vocal leader that players are really looking to? I mean, I think Luke's a great leader, but I mean, Luke's playing five minutes a game. So, I mean, yeah. is, are those top guys? And I mean, so I think it's kind of a double-edged sword. Is is Dave Rose's voice kind of growing a little stale and the assistance, which I think is valid. And I think that could very well be the case. I think that definitely is part of the case. I think his voice is growing stale. But I mean, the players have to be held accountable too. And there has to be that player leadership to say, hey, this is embarrassing. We're giving up 113 points to Weber State. Weber State. I mean, BYU should be better than Weber State. There should be a pride in that. And I just don't see it from either end. Players not responding to Coach Rose and the players not taking it upon themselves to have that emotion. Yeah. So like you said, that I think that as well, aside from the schematic things, just that emotion and the pride. Yeah, it's, you know, there's different types of leaders, right? This is not to say Luke Worthington, like you said, is not a good leader. No, he's he, great. He, Luke is the, he's everybody's buddy, you know, everyone's talked about how he's like, you know, taking an interest, a personal interest in all these players, and that's all important. But there's also mm-hmm. the type of leadership, which is vocal leadership, which is, you know, calling dudes out when things aren't, things aren't up to snuff, right? Going to your teammates and challenging them and calling them out and saying, we need to be better. You individually specifically need to be better. And, you know, Rose trying to light the fire in the second half. That's great. But a lot of times the coach isn't just, isn't going to be the one who's going to be most effective doing it. It can be sometimes, but it's more effective coming from a, from a peer, from a teammate, from a player. And so this has to come with, from within the, and the question obviously becomes, you know, like you, you alluded to, who can or will do that? And honestly, to me, there don't seem to be many realistic options. And we can talk about a little bit about who I think there's mm-hmm. one option that may work here, which we can talk about now, because I, we've talked a lot about what's wrong, obviously. Um, and we don't have all the answers for how to fix it. But I do think we have some ideas about what what can be done. We talked about all these problems. There's obviously a lot of them. Some of them are very big and stretching over many years, and maybe they won't be fixed this season. But uh, what can they do to start fixing this now? And I, I think of it kind of in three ways, kind of the personnel and the rotation. Who do you put on the floor? The tactics and the strategy. What, what do you do once you're on the floor? And then the last part's that intangible, that, that emotional piece, which I think is really important too. But let's start with the personnel um, and the rotation. Who should be on the floor? What do they need to change or shake up mm-hmm. there, Robbie? Yeah, I think personnel, I think what's been consistent for BYU for the first nine games is that BYU started poor, I think, nearly every game with a side from the Alabama A&M game who's possibly the worst division one team in college basketball. So I think that I for think now, that's for yeah. now we're, we're trending that way. <laughs> yeah. It will be only be three fifty three by the time the season ends. But uh, no, I think that's been a con- consistent thing throughout the season. BYU started really slow. So I think the natural first thing is to look at it's like, okay, who's the starting five out there. So obviously TJ and Yoli, I think, I mean, those are BYU's two best players. They're not going to come off. So obviously with Nick Emery coming back, I mean, how is BYU going to shake up things? Um, I think Jashir uh, has played well. He's been a little bit invisible at times, but I think he's been BYU's third or fourth best player this year. But I think he could be the type of guy maybe that just to kind of switch things up a little bit, he could be the guy that's kind of heads that second unit. I think Nick Emery could be good at that, but I think BYU needs to try something in their starting five. So maybe not necessarily Utah State, since that Nick Emery game's back, but maybe you could insert Nick in place of Jashir. 
Um, I think Bioya has to kind of talk about sitting Zach Selius down. Um, he's been Bioya's best three-point shooter this year, but what does that mean for a team that's one of the worst three-point shooting teams in college basketball? So at some point, I think you have to have the discussion, okay, okay, are we going to sit Zach Selius down? I mean, he's at times he's, he's lost his confidence in his shot. He hasn't been looking for his own shot. And at times he just hasn't been hitting threes. So I think you have to have that hard discussion about Zach Selyus, but hey, do we sit him in place of Nick? Maybe do we bring a Connor Harding in, kind of roll the dice a little bit about him, try to accelerate his development? And I think the five spot, um, BYU is just very undersized right now, and that bodes itself, shows itself really a lot in rebounding, especially allowing offensive rebounds, and BYU itself getting rebounds. And I I love Dalton Nixon. I think Dalton Nixon is kind of what we talked about in the tangibles. He's everything you want, and, and that quintessential glue guy he's kind of nate austin a little bit yeah he's gonna hustle for every single ball i mean he's gonna out there he's gonna dive for loose balls he's gonna do everything he can to get a rebound you know he's shooting horribly from three-point range but everybody's shooting horribly from three-point range so i mean don't i don't i don't know sir if you want to take him out but i mean boa does need more length athleticism in there so i mean gavin baxter has had his ups and downs which he's expect for a freshman so i mean do you want to get that six nine seven foot two wingspan frame out there to kind of add to that length of athleticism? Maybe help a little bit on the glass and the defensive end. So, I mean, those are a few ideas I have. Putting maybe Nick for Jashir, talking about Celius, but Buey needs to do something to change that starting five just in order to start out fast because whatever Buey is doing, it's a consistent theme. So, I mean, it's a pattern now. I think it's Buey's identity. They're slow starting. I think BYU needs to kind of dive into the rotations, specifically that starting five, and then more into the rotations to kind of figure out, hey, how can we start out fast so we don't dig ourselves into a hole every single game? Yeah, it's uh, you know, Jay, he, I said this on Twitter. Dave Rose needs to shake the snow globe, and he needs to shake it real hard because whatever they're <laughs> yeah. doing now isn't working. And so they might do just something. try some. Yeah, you yeah. should try some goofy things. And maybe it is putting, you know, I like the idea of giving the freshman a chance to develop. And Harding, I think, is a good defender. Obviously, he hasn't shooting, shooting well from three right now, but nobody is really. Um, and so I think his, I think he does a lot of things really well and good things happen when he's on the floor. I like, I like Baxter a lot. Um, yeah. I like his length and athleticism. It gives him a different look than, you know, they have now he hasn't looked yeah. very comfortable um recently he's looked a little bit lost mm-hmm. actually when he's out there but he also hasn't played at all he's playing like two minutes at a time it's pretty hard to get comfortable in college basketball when you never play more than two minutes so mm-hmm. you know i i don't know what the answer is but they gotta maybe Col- give colby lee a shot give you know we he, he's played a few minutes but i mean just why not like you said shake the snow globe try something to turn it around because it's not working BYU is bad right now so yeah. whatever it is you just need to fix something yeah, what about the outside of the personnel? Once you get the guys on the floor, what about the tactics, the strategy? What needs to change on the offensive side of the ball to yeah. really fix this? We alluded to a lot of this already, but I think offensively, I think BYU started to fix some of these things against Weber State, which was encouraging that they kind of they kind of had some self awareness, like, hey, we're a bad three point shooting team. It's not necessary because I think at the beginning of the season and understandably so i think bo is kind of telling them, hey we're just having a bad shooting night we'll shoot the way out of it well nine games to the season bo didn't do that so i think it's kind of the identity bo is a bad three-point shooting team so that was really nice against weber state bo shot almost 60 percent from the field and shoot took much very they took a, just a few threes in that game so bo did a they did a decent job of kind of trying to throw yoli in the block um i think the coaches knew that nobody could stop yoli and weber state knew that too and he had an awesome game 
So I think BYU needs to keep doing that. BYU needs to keep taking atta- attacking the basket, not just take twos for the sake of not shooting threes, but taking good twos. And I think a lot of that comes in the half court sets. You know, we've really harped on that a lot of times uh, in the past podcasts. But and BYU set pieces in the half court has been up and down to to say the least, to put it kindly. Um, there needs to be more off ball movement and set more. I think Zach Selius, that's one guy. I think BYU hasn't done a great job setting him threes, kind of like they did for a Chase Fisher to get him open looks. Um, I think more set pieces to kind of get him open. Um, just something new. But I think BYU kind of realized that a little bit. It's Weber State that they need to take fewer threes and take more good twos, whether that be with, I think, TJ and Jashir. They're really the two guys that can attack the basket and then kind of create things for other people. So, yeah, offensively, I think BYU kind of finally started to fix those things, but that's the biggest thing. BYU needs to kind of slow down a little bit, have more set pieces, so they're kind of not just a little jumbled in the half-court set, and then just keep feeding the ball to Yoli. And he need, I think he's hit some of those fadeaways, but I think he just, just needs to go straight up to the basket because he's been really consistent with that this year. But yeah. So just get Yoli the ball in the block, run more set pieces, attack the basket, less threes, and I think... BYU will have some success with that on the offensive end. Yeah, I mean, you know that my uh, my pet peeve is always how they just the, the the motion offense that they run. Their standard offense <laughs> is just like two guys doing a dribble handoff while three yeah. guys stand on the backside and watch. I think that I don't. I think that bad habits of that are too deeply ingrained to change at this point. I think the only way you get away from that is to run those set pieces that you're talking about, which you know people have specific places they're supposed to run at specific times. You go here instead of pick there for him. Um, that that keeps people moving because they they have to carry out the play rather than just the motion offense where the bad habits can set in and they stand around. I think that could be really helpful. And we used to run a lot. The BYU used to run a lot of set plays for guys like Chase Fisher um, and Tyler Haas mm-hmm. to get them looks at very specific places. They need to be doing that for guys like TJ and for Zach Selyas and for Yoli and for all these different guys who can who can score the basketball. There are set pieces that are in the Dave Rose playbook somewhere um, that they've used in the past. It kind of makes me wonder, Steve, like, did some of those leave with like Terry Nashiv? Because he was kind of like really running the offense before he left. Kind of since we've seen him left, a lot of those set plays have really run off. So, I mean, that's just kind of, I wonder if Terry, if he was really the one running like that, those half court sets, and maybe the coaching, maybe he just doesn't have that guy that's really comfortable and with the, with the strategy in those half court sets. Mm-hmm. Maybe, man. I don't know. He still lives in Utah County. There's phones. Give him a call if that's the case. He's selling basketball hoops or something. I don't know what Terry's doing. And God, wherever Terry is out there, yeah, wherever Terry is out there, you know, God bless you, man. Godspeed. But, you know, pick up the phone. (laughs) So hopefully these guys will call you if that's the case. And the other thing I would say before we switch over to defense is why do they not throw lobs anymore? I feel like back in the day, they used to throw, they used to use the lob as a weapon with guys like Eric Mika, who had the size and the the athleticism to, to go up and get the ball. And I just feel like, even with Nate Austin, but I just feel like they don't throw lobs anymore. Why do they not? I mean, when they put Gavin Baxter in the game, arguably the most athletic player they've ever recruited to the university with his, you know, 7-2 wingspan and whatever, they stick him in the corner and he just stands there. Why, why whenever there's penetration on the on the strong side of the ball and Gavin Baxter's in the weak side corner, why is he not cutting? Why is his, his only job to just cut to the rim 
cut baseline and go up and wait for somebody to throw him a lob. Like it's, it's guaranteed like six points a game. Why are they not putting him or Yoli in pick and roll as the screener and then running a simple, you know, a simple high pick and roll where the ball handler can either attack or throw a lob to, to Yoli or Gavin cutting to the rim. It's, I don't understand where, how that got lost in the playbook because we used to do it, but it's just not there anymore. And we have the personnel. It's just, it's just interesting to see it not utilized. Yeah, it's frustrating on a lot of things. I mean, and even like on the defensive side of the ball, I think, like you said, BYU just needed all in offense. They need to just kind of come up with their identity. But defensively, BYU needs to establish an identity. I think what perfectly sums that up when you go to Ken Palm and look at BYU's defensive identity, it says undetermined. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I think that kind of sums up BYU. No defense. That's yeah, incredible. Know, ex- exactly. I think. That sums it up perfectly. BYU needs to dis- decide what they are. Are they a team that's really going to get up in your face and take away the three? Maybe give up some dribble penetration, but hey, we're not going to give up threes. And if BYU does that, I don't know if that's necessarily the right strategy, but hey, great. That's a BYU identity. BYU is not going to give up the three ball. Or does BYU, like you said, with the pack line defense that Virginia does, is BYU going to say, hey, you know what? Let's really let's take away that dribble penetration. Maybe we'll give up some open threes. But, you know, hey, this is what we are. We're not going to let people get easy shots at the basket. You know, that's great, too. Both those are great strategies. But whatever they do, BYU needs to decide something because, like, you really harped on with defense. I mean, what is BYU doing? They're late rotating. They're just doing all these things wrong. But BYU needs that identity on the defensive end, and I'm just not seeing that right now. Yeah, and based on their personnel, it it indicates that they probably need to go to more of the pack line style to sag a few, essentially sag a few steps off away from the ball when uh, when you're into a kind of a help position when you're not on the ball, just enough to kind of pack the paint and deter drives, but still be in a position to challenge shots. But you know, they they just don't have enough quick feet to to stay in front of folks. And if you don't have quick feet to stay in front of folks, you better have rim protectors to to bail you out. And they don't have rim protectors either, really. So it's it's they can't be they don't have the personnel to be aggressive out there on the perimeter um, and not get burned. And so the pack line would seem to be a better match for their personnel. But and this is the big but the pack line requires discipline lots of on-ball pressure which BYU does not apply a lot of on-ball pressure right now it requires everybody being on the same page and in the right spots and those spots are always changing because it is a man-to-man defense it's not a zone where you just stand in one spot it requires everybody to close out well the shooters or otherwise you would get killed by good teams with good shooters if you don't close out well BYU doesn't do any of those things right now so literally, that might the op- be more literally ap- everything the opposite of what BYU does yeah. <laughs> is what you're asking BYU to do Steve <laughs> yeah so this might be more of an aspirational thing than any thing maybe this is like yeah. a let's punt this to next year in terms yeah. of like what they could do in the short term that's realistic just give a crap man no just mm-hmm. do the effort stuff know what you're doing on ball screens that seems pretty simple let's talk about that are we are we are we switching ball screens are we hard hedging on ball screens are we kind of just doing a soft hedge to allow the the ball handlers defender to recover just decide i don't care what it is just decide and then do it and then you know just the simple stuff communicate more get 
open your mouth on defense, find guys in transition, call out who your guy is, and then find the best player on the floor. Find Jarek Harding and make sure that somebody has him. Um, work on closeouts all day and all night at practice. Like if they just did closeouts for like an entire week at practice, I'd be happy. I don't care if they don't shoot a single ball. I just work on closeouts. Like this is just the simple stuff that I think will make a huge defense. They don't have to work even beyond the broader schematic problems that they have. Just do the simple stuff and it fixes a lot, a lot of problems. Oh, yeah, man. and like I, I, I know, <laughs> and there's a lot of schematic things, but like you said, just just give a crap. And I think BYU, you can't change the whole schematic thing overnight, but BYU just got to really care and with the emotional and intangible things. And I think hopefully one thing, obviously BYU is getting Nick Emery back here on Wednesday, and he plays with a lot of emotion, a lot of passion. So I mean, I hope Dave Rose just tell Nick Emery, hey, you know what? Maybe you're a little bit off a little bit. Maybe you're take a little bit while for you to get back in the swing of things. But what Nick Emery can do, Nick Emery could get in guys' faces. Nick Emery could hold guys accountable. Nick Emery could go on defense. I mean, he has in his bloodlines. We know Jackson Emery, one of the best defenders in BYU basketball history. And we see Nick do that, especially a sophomore. He'd be a really good defender. Just come in, just stay on guys, just communicate and just bring some of that emotion and some of that give a crappiness <laughs> that BYU needs, especially on the defensive end. Um, I think that's one thing, hopefully, I think that needs to change. And you would hope Nick Emery, a guy coming in, that really fiery guy changes that and turns maybe a switch a little bit that kind of spells to the other guys. It's like, hey, okay, let's have some emotion. Let's care a little bit more. There's really nobody better positioned to do that than Nick Emery. I can't think of anyone else on the team who's mm-hmm. a vo- who's positioned to be a vocal leader. Nick Emery is the is one competitive and fiery sucker. If anyone is going to get in somebody's face and tell him that he's not that he's not closing out well or he's not rotating where he should be on defense or he's not playing hard enough, I would bank on Nick Emery doing that over just about anybody else in that team. I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. potential leaders on that team. Not a lot of guys whose personalities lend themselves to that. I think Nick Emery is maybe the only guy. And like you said, he may not be, you know, ready to rock and roll, you know, scoring 15 points a game right out the gate. But that is something that regardless, unless he got a personality transplant in the last year and a half, he can, he can do that. Yeah. And I would also say this also, it can come from Rose too. I mean, you need to, you need to do something that gets that gets these guys attention. Cause they're just, they're just sleepwalking through it right now. I, if I was Rose, mm-hmm. I would start practice on, you know, I'm obviously not Dave Rose. I'm a guy who's recording a podcast in his closet, but, uh, <laughs> I would start practice on Monday morning or whenever they practice Monday afternoon by telling the team that every spot and every minute is up for grabs and from, ne- from starting right now. And you're going to compete from it. Nobody, nobody is safe. Yoli isn't safe. TJ's not safe. No spot is safe. No spot is guaranteed. We now have our full team for the first time this season. Nick is back. Everyone who's going to be here is here now. And what we've been doing so far obviously hasn't worked. So we're starting fresh. We're, and we're going to see who wants it most and who can deliver, who's going to compete. And if that doesn't stir some kind of response from them and get them focused and get them competing and get their, that intensity back up, then this team may be a lost cause anyway. We may be looking at a lost season, but I would do it. You have to, something has to happen. I think, and I think the emotional and tangible stuff that we've been talking about, that kind of stuff, I think that may be even bigger than the personnel and the, and the schematic and the, t- the tactical just the the just the there has to be a focus and an intensity and a desire and that comes down to the guys have to motivate themselves yes and Dave Rose has to find a new way to reach them too that's his job as the coach he, he I know he's been there forever I know they've probably tuning him out like you said a little bit he's got to find a new way to reach them whether that's through an assistant or through doing something that's unorthodox um 
but there's something in them. This team just looks dead in the eyes, man. They look like they're sleepwalking out there and something's got to change. Yeah, I think fortunately, I mean, it's kind of, I think some of these things can be fixed. I mean, nice thing about college basketball, it's we're only a month into the season, Steve. So, I mean, we've seen teams before, not just BYU, but other teams. They're a completely different team in November to what we see in February yeah. and even into yeah. March. So, I mean, these things can change. I think will they change is the big question. I think BYU has limited some of the things just because of their personnel, because of their talent. Um, um, so, I think that limits BYU. But like you, exactly like you said, some of the things can change, like playing with emotion, really caring on the defensive end. Those are the things that can change. And I mean, that's, we'll see this week coming up with um, Utah State and Utah if those things can change. But do you kind of see the same way, Steve? Do you feel like there's things that say, no, there's no way this can change? Or do you kind of see it the same way? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's the, you know, it's the, there are things that can be changed now and it's the small things, but the, those small things make a big difference. Like we've talked about, it's the intangibles, it's the effort, it's the focus, it's the intensity. And yeah, they can worry about the big stuff and should worry about the big stuff. Cause obviously some of those problems have been going on a long time, but that's not going to be fixed by Wednesday night when they play Utah state, uh, at the Marriott center. And, you know, they got two, I mean, just transitioning into, into looking ahead mm-hmm. of this week. Two tough games this week. One, Utah State is going to be really tough. Utah State is really good. And then Utah is down this year, and they've struggled just like BYU has, but that's a rivalry game, right? So, you know, this is this is going to be a tough week. Robbie, tell us, you know, beyond my just very simple explanation there, tell us what we're looking at this week with with BYU, and with uh, Utah State and Utah. Yeah, what I see Utah State, I, they've been one of the surprise teams one of the surprise teams, I think, not only out West, but in the country. Um, preseason Mountain West poll, they were picked to finish ninth in the Mountain West. It was kind of season rebuilding year. But from what I think, Steve, they look like the second best team in the Mountain West outside of Nevada. I think they're better than San Diego State. I think they're better than Wyoming, New Mexico. They look really good so far. I mean, they're 7-1 on the year. They're 56 in Ken Palm. I mean, just to kind of illustrate how good they are. I mean, they went, they went down to Vegas and beat St. Mary's by 17 and they're up by 20 oh. plus the whole game. And even just their last game, they played UC Irvine. You're like, oh, big, what, what UC Irvine? Well, UC Irvine went into St. Mary's the game before and beat St. Mary's by five at St. Mary's. And then Utah went in there on the road and beat them by double digits. So, I mean, this Utah State, they're deep, they're talented. I mean, their average margin of victory is 24 points. So, I mean, they're blowing out yeah. teams and they've played some pretty good teams too. And just a, and a quick preview of them um, their best player is a guard. His name's Sam Merrill. Um, really good guard. He's really become an all-around player this year. Averages 21 points, and he's already part of that kind of exclusive 50-40-90 club, as in he's shooting over 50% from the floor, 40% from three, 90% from the foul line. So he could just light it up from everywhere on the floor. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Tyler Haas with his game, but super talented player. And the, one, one of the big things, the reason they've been overachieving, they have this freshman Portuguese big man. Um, he's six foot eleven, super athletic, but he's going to be a nightmare for you to match up with i mean he averages nine points nine rebounds almost three blocks a game and it's just going to be hard for BYU to match up with them they could go nine ten guys deep they're up tempo like byu so it's going to be a really up tempo game and because of that um i could see this one get out of hand really quickly steve um utah state's really good um i mean we could talk about predictions later but i mean going on to utah a little bit utah saturday and that's going to be a neutral court out at the Vivint Smart Home Arena. I mean, like you said, Utah, they can't have had a similar year to BYU. They're four and three on the year. They have a really bad loss to Hawaii, and Hawaii's pretty bad. 
Um, they haven't really beat very anyone. Of, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> they Utah, don't play. They don't play basketball on that island very often. No, they have a bunch of big guys that are great at football. Um, so I mean, yeah, Utah's very similar to BYU, and they're very different than Utah State. I think it's gonna be interesting to see if BYU matches up with Utah. Utah, they're a big team. They they really slow down the tempo. They have two seven footers on their team that they play regularly. Um, two centers. So it'll be really interesting to see how BYU matches up with that. But Utah, the program, that kind of seems like they're a little bit in disarray. They had one of their star freshmen, a really highly rated recruit. Um, I think his last name is Hendricks. He just barely transferred from the program midseason, which kind of reading into Utah fans, that was something really strange and really alarming to transfer just yeah. in the middle of a college basketball non-conference season. Like four games in. <laughs> yeah. And he was, he was, yeah, he was playing too. And then all of a sudden he got benched. And then he transferred. So just really weird things going on with the program. So, I mean, honestly, that game's probably going to be a battle to see who the third best team in the state of Utah is behind Utah State <laughs> and Weber State. I mean, because BYU and Utah are just down this year. So, I mean, BYU fans might say, oh, we're going to get blown up by Utah. But Utah fans are saying, oh, we're going to get blown up by BYU. So <laughs> that's just going to be an, uh, a really interesting game. Both teams that are too, way down this year. But, I mean, it, if BYU beats Utah, I mean, hey, I mean, it's great to always win the Holy War. So, yeah, that, yeah, that'll be a good game, interesting game to see on the back half of that in-state road trip. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking, uh, I was going back and forth on Twitter with uh, with a Utah basketball guy, um, who one of the one of the reasonable Ute fans, um, <laughs> and he had tweet he had tweeted out. Uh, it was this was during the Weber State game. You know, how did I didn't watch the Utah game today? How did how did Utah look? And I just responded to him and I said, uh, I said, I promise you they look better than BYU does right now. And he said, he was like, no, there's no way. Utah's been really bad this year. I was like, BYU just gave up 113 points to Weber. And he was like, okay, maybe this game, it really is going to be the, the battle of who sucks less. I think that's yeah. what we're looking at on Saturday. Yeah, no, seriously. I think that's kind of the way. I mean, BYU fans and Utah fans are both just really apathetic, I think, right now. But the basketball programs, I think that's the thing I'm seeing about BYU fans like on Twitter. And Twitter does not the tell all. But it just seems like people are just really apathetic about BYU basketball, not even upset. Like when BYU gave 113 points to Weber State, I didn't see much outrage. It was kind of like, oh, same old, same old BYU basketball. And I mean, with already three straight NIT appearances, I mean, it's just a lot of apathy sitting into the fan base. It almost seems like it's seeping into the program, the players a little bit. So, I mean, as far as predictions go, Steve, we previewed Utah State and Utah. I'll let you know how I see it and I'll give it off to you. Um, I think we're both going to see Utah State the same way. I think this one could get ugly. I see BYU losing by 12 to 15 points. Even though it's going to be on the Marriott Center, that'll give BYU a puncher's chance. But I think Utah State right now, they're humming on both sides of the of offensively and defensively. And with kind of where BYU is at, I think Utah State kind of punches BYU in the mouth. And then the Holy War, I mean... I'm going to say BYU win, Steve. I think Nick Emery, his second game back, I think he's going to give BYU a little bit of spark. And in the battle of two downtrodden programs, I think BYU pulls out the Beehive Classic game versus Utah. So I see a split. I see a Utah State handles BYU. And I see a close win against Utah. Um, What's your prediction for the two games, Steve? Uh, I think we're very much in alignment on the Utah State game. I think it's it's. I don't think it's going to be pretty. I think they're just better than us, even though it's going to be at home. That might help us keep it close, actually. The fact that it's at home, but I think Utah. I think it may look like the the Houston game, kind of <clears throat> keeping it close for a half, and then 
Utah State just kind of punches us in the mouth after halftime because that seems to be a trend. I hope not. Mm-hmm. I hope Nick Emery can come in and you know everyone feels like it's a brand new year and you know they play awesome. But uh, yeah, maybe he'll punch someone like in the, the mouth. Yeah, <laughs> 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 that's what I was going to say about Utah. Is, Utah, yeah. I, I I totally see the the argument for you know Utah. Nick Emery provides the spark for BYU to beat Utah because they are also bad. Uh, but I could also easily just as easily see it the other way. Nick Emery punches <laughs> yeah. someone in the mouth at Utah, and yeah, okay. BYU loses. Close. I have I have no idea who's going to win that game. Both of these teams are not good right now. That doesn't mean they won't be good later in the season, or they might just be bad the whole season. Who knows? But I, I just I have I've other than my knowledge that USU is playing a lot better basketball than BYU right now. I just have no mm-hmm. capacity to really predict uh, predict these games because it's it's just totally dependent on what BYU team shows up. If the BYU team that showed up last week shows up again this week, they will lose both of these games, even if Utah yeah. is bad. <laughs> they will yeah. lose both of these games because it cannot get worse than how they played last week. I'm convinced. I hope. I hope that's true. Fingers crossed, yeah. But I mean, it's a big yeah. week, a big statement week for BYU for for even to the fan base i mean two big in-state games i mean it could go if BYU won both these games i think they're kind of be re-energize the fan base a little again a little bit again and on the flip side man steve if BYU loses three in-state games in a row things are already getting a little ugly for dave rose i mean it's going to get really ugly around the BYU basketball program BYU drops both of these which is very very possible yeah i don't think byu has ever ever lost five games under Dave Rose that you probably have to go back even you know before Steve Cleveland back to the 125 year for the last time they lost five games in a row yeah as I was before we sign off I was looking um, BYU has never lost more than four games in the non-conference under Dave Rose and BYU December 1st BYU is already at four losses and BYU still has six non-conference games to go so Dire times right now for the basketball program, Steve. Yeah, uncharted waters. Um, But this is, like you're saying, this is a huge inflection point this week. We Mm -hmm. will find out this week how these guys respond. And we said that last week, too, and they didn't respond well. They get another chance to respond this week uh, with two big in-state games, which which should, if that that doesn't get your heart up and motivate you and get you intense to to beat in-state rivals, then I don't know what does. But this is a huge inflection point for this program. And the wheels could very easily come off and they could lose, you know, their fourth and fifth straight game. Or they could they could make a statement against USU and get a good home win and then go beat their rival in Utah and everyone is suddenly feeling a little bit better about where this program is. And we'll know a lot more when we talk next Sunday because we'll know what happened in these games. But, you know, for the for the time being, it's dark. It's dark out there. But, you know, as as our as our friend, uh, our, our friend Commissioner Gordon Batman says, uh, the night it, it's the, the night is often darkest just before the dawn and so hopefully that's where we are we may not be but i hope so man it's it's rough out there but regardless thank you to everyone out there for hanging with us this was a longer one than usual but this was also there was also a lot more to talk about than usual considering this team is really bad right now but hopefully you know keep the faith out there cougar faithful because you know it can't get any worse. So I'll say that. And regardless, even if it does, Robbie and I will be back with you right here next week to talk about what happened and to talk about the way forward. So in the meantime, keep the faith, keep watching, keep rising and shouting. Go Cougars. Go Cougars.